This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Carl Ulrich. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm the Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach entrepreneurship innovation as well as product design. I'm really happy to welcome into the studio my next guest, Travis Katz, who wears a couple of hats, but he is the co-founder of Trip.com and currently Vice President of Product at Skyscanner. Uh, Travis, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Carl. It's great to be here. All right. So the the trip.com story has had in the last in the last year or so uh, a transition, but I want to I want to go back to the beginning on trip.com. So let's start with Trip and have you give us the elevator pitch for what trip.com was all about. Yeah, so the idea behind Trip Trip is a travel site. Mm-hmm. Um the idea is it makes it easy for you to find the perfect places to stay, eat or play in over 60,000 destinations. The thing we did differently than traditional travel sites where every person would see the same generic list of places in the same order whether you're a, you know, a luxury traveler or you're a family on a budget. At trip.com, we had 20 what we called tribes, so think family travelers, backpackers, foodies, and you could go in, tell us who you were, what you were interested in, and we would tell you what other people like you uh, liked when they were in that destination. Where did they stay? Where did they eat? Where did they play? So you really got to connect with travelers with similar tastes and get recommendations that are more relevant to you than you might see on a, on a traditional site. Uh, very interesting. So this idea, it's sort of a... Uh, what I guess the tech people call collaborative filtering. Basically, people like you are likely to like these 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 things. Yeah, yeah. it really was sort of the first move towards personalization. So yeah. you see across you know across the industries, uh, personalizations become a big buzzword. We yeah. were the first ones in travel to really start figuring out: can we actually start to break down uh, the data to more segments that made it more relevant and mm-hmm, useful. Mm-hmm. And where did the where did the actual raw item level data come from on the events or activities or things that that you were showing me? So we built our own database, uh, essentially by aggregating a bunch of sources, crawling the internet, had our users collaboratively adding places. So uh, you know we had several million points of interest: uh, hotels, restaurants, things to do. Uh, uh, globally, and that was constantly and is still constantly expanding. Yeah. So take us back to the beginning. And actually, I should have I should have mentioned because I never miss an opportunity for uh, promoting my employer. Uh, you're you're a Wharton grad, so that's right. Wharton grad one But I don't think you. Well, I hope you didn't take a class for me because I don't remember. No, yeah. I, I I didn't <laughs> take one of your classes, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. And now I regret that. Of yeah. Course, but, uh, well, you're very polite. Actually, I was I was on leave. In one that's why okay. I was off doing my own entrepreneurial thing. But anyway, it's always great to have to have Wharton alums back uh, to tell tell the story. So take us back to the beginning. First of all, when did you start Trip, and where the where did the idea come from? Yeah, so I started Trip back in 2010, and this was actually the second uh, startup I had done before before Trip. I had spent. Uh, about four years at MySpace, and really, it's sort of the birth of the social network, and we were sort of inventing, you know, what became social media. And while I was there, so I ran the international uh, division at MySpace and launched MySpace in thirty different countries. And I was finding myself 
traveling a ton for work. And then when I wasn't traveling for work, I was living over in Europe and my wife and I were trying to get around and see things. And we found ourselves running into the same problem every single time. And this was really born out of personal frustration where we'd say, let's go away next weekend uh, somewhere we haven't been. Like maybe we'll go to Norway. And we'd get on the computer in the morning and say, well, how can we figure out what to do? And let's spend a couple hours and plan the trip. And inevitably we would find ourselves you know, 10 hours later, still sitting in front of the computer, bloodshot eyes, headaches, and still not really any better off. And we yeah. just started thinking, this is way too hard. Mm -hmm. This must be an easier way. And what we really wanted to do, we we're pretty sophisticated travelers. We were traveling with a small child. And so we had very specific questions, and there was just no way we could find that data. Mm. We were sure it was there, you know, if you went to a site like TripAdvisor or, or something like that. Probably the data we wanted was in there somewhere, but there was no way to find it except for just digging through the piles, looking for that one shard of information that actually was relevant. And that was when we had the idea of, look, there's a better way to do this, that now with social media and the way people are connecting to each other online, you ought to be able to sort of connect to the people that have similar tastes, similar interests, and uh, that was where the idea came from. All right. Well, that idea, that's interesting. So unless this is revisionist history, the original idea actually is pretty close to what you eventually built. Yeah. Actually, we built, if, if you go back and look at our original pitch deck, yeah. uh, what we built was in the pitch deck, which is actually pretty rare. As, yeah. as you know, you usually tend to swerve. And we, we did have to do pivot in lots of different other areas. But yeah. the core problem we were trying to solve was really our North Star, and we really stuck yeah. to that. So if I were looking at that, uh, and by the way, I, I get, you know, I, I teach entrepreneurship, so I see a lot of student pitches. I see some version of this still pretty regularly, the frustration yes. around travel. travel. Um, but one of the problems is that to really make it work, you need both a large community of users and you need a large, a lot of data. So how did you crack that nut? How'd you get started? So, you know, one of our, you know, one of our comparative advantages going into this, and by the way, there have been tons of companies that have tried to do this since, but uh, coming out of the MySpace world and having done social, we had a lot of insights about how do you actually build communities? What makes communities work? How do you grow them? How do you leverage sort of mm. word of mouth marketing? And so that was really you know, what we brought to the table that a lot of people didn't have. Um, you know, at, at MySpace, I scaled our, our international user base from nothing to about 70 million users over the course of two years. But it, it's nonetheless a super hard nut to crack. And mm -hmm. what was different about travel than something like, you know, messaging or, or other sort of social platforms is uh, the frequency is quite low. So most people right. are only traveling once or twice a year. And so yeah. building habits around something that you only need once or twice a year is difficult, if not impossible. Yeah. So a lot of what what our work was around, how do we first get a core of a community going? How do we start to create that word of mouth virality? And then how do we grow it from there? And we'd learned a lot along the way. You know, and when we first started, we're in the early days of Facebook opening up as a platform. Mm -hmm. and, and that enabled us, you know, created a, a way for us to start scaling our user base quite quickly, leveraging Facebook. But as you probably know, Facebook turned that all all off on one day, uh, you know, back in uh, 2014. Oh, I and, didn't know that. Yeah. 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 And, they, and they basically wiped out an entire generation of VC funded companies. Wow. And had we not planned our product the right way, we would have also been wiped out at that yeah. time. But luckily we had we had anticipated that could happen. And so we weren't totally dependent on Facebook as a mm -hmm. channel. So so how did you 
I would think one strategy for cracking the nut would be to bring some focus to the original, to the to the initial user population. Did you do that? Did you focus in some way? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in the beginning, so the hardest part about getting something started from scratch like that is we're saying, okay, we're going to build a service that's going to help you find recommendations of where to go. And on day one, we couldn't do that. We had no users. We had no data. We, we right. couldn't really offer you anything. And so where we had to start was building a product that was about getting people to share their experience. I see. And we gamified that experience a lot. So we, we built a concept called a passport where you could very quickly, you know, click mm -hmm. and you'd add pins in the map of the places mm -hmm. you've been. And then within a city, you could add the places that you'd seen. And oh. we started to make it fun for people to yeah. just collect and share the places that they'd been. And this was purely, there was nothing in it for them other than sort of bragging rights. Just yeah. bragging rights. Yeah. And, and, and really what, what it turned out the real motivation was, was people liked to be able to document and see mm. what they'd experienced and yeah. be able to sort of somehow save that. Yeah. Um, so that was how we got started to just build the database and, and get the community going. And then from there... And, you know, until we had enough data, we couldn't really help you with the travel. Yeah, the travel planning. Yeah, how long did it take to build to to for that first phase to build enough data? I would say our site was not very useful to people for the first year and a half. Mm -hmm. I mean, realistically, and and you know, after about a year and a half, you started finding you know in in certain cities it was becoming pretty useful, and then other yeah. cities not very useful, and then over time, it you know the depth got got better and the breadth got better yeah so how did you survive that first year and a half had you managed to convince investors to take a gamble on a on two years of uh of database building yeah so i mean we we raised overall for the company it raised about 39 million dollars yeah. uh, in venture funding from people like eric schmidt and uh, battery ventures red point ventures uh so you know in the beginning, we we raised basically money on the backs of my co-founder and my previous experience and successes. So a lot of what VCs bet on in the earliest stages is the team and does right. the team have a track record. And that was the MySpace experience. Correct, primarily. the MySpace. Yeah. And my co-founder, uh, Ori Zaltzman, was a three-time entrepreneur and had been the chief architect for Yahoo Boss, which yeah. was their open source yeah. search platform. But it wasn't a particularly hot period 2010 was actually a little dry wasn't it yeah it was a it was coming out of sort of a, a dry spell yeah um so we we managed to you know we raised an initial four million dollars yeah. which gave us plenty of space to get going and you know we launched and nothing happened for yeah. a while yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we kept working and then all of a sudden uh we hit an inflection point about about nine months in where we started to see organic growth happening and word of mouth growth happening. And then we were able to sort of crack into the Facebook thing. And then we started seeing pretty rapid growth yeah. uh, start to occur after that. Yeah. And then we were able to raise a follow on round. What was the, what was the original revenue plan? And then what, what ended up being the revenue plan for trip.com? Yeah. So the revenue plan was the same one we started off with. Yeah. So, so the only way you can really make money, although Skyscanner, I guess my current employer has proved otherwise, but the most of the money that's made in travel is made through accommodations and hotels. Mm. And so our focus from the beginning was let's help people plan the entirety of their trip. So where they stay, where they're going to eat, what they do for fun, but then we'll make money by helping them find the right hotels. And then, uh, you know, sending them off to book those. And and we had originally started off, you know, just doing a white label deal with uh, booking.com. Mm. Um, and we, that was okay for a while, but we realized, 
we weren't big enough to negotiate a very good revenue share. So we ended up deciding the only way to really get our fair share of revenue was to let the booking providers compete for those clicks. And so we built a, a meta search platform where it was a real-time auction and booking could compete against Expedia and Orbitz and all the different sites for each click. And then we were able to make enough money from that that it became a, a much better business. Uh, and And just to calibrate our users, those sites, those intermediaries, they get paid about what? On on a on a or what? So, so somebody wants to do something in in online travel. If their plan is to make money on clicks for accommodations, what can they expect to get in revenue? Yeah. So, you know, if if you're doing a a, a per click basis, it depends on the property, but somewhere around a dollar is mm -hmm. pretty reasonable. Um, that model, by the way, of of uh, accommodations and clicks for accommodations became radically less attractive about a year, year and a half ago, where there was so much consolidation in between Expedia and the Priceline group, who basically bought up all of the travel sites that it became a duopoly. And then I suddenly, see. one day they decided we're going to start paying a lot less for this traffic and, and everyone's stock prices, you know, TripAdvisor stock price and Trivago's and all those sort of went in the tank. Wow. Yeah. Fairly yeah. dramatically. Yeah. Luckily, we had sold the company by then. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I think we probably need to make the the transition uh, to to what you're doing now. So, so um, I, actually, but I wanted to circle back on on one other thing because you know MySpace. We've almost forgotten about MySpace. So look at these dates. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. So what what is your uh, autopsy? on, on well, MySpace, given you were there. And it was, you left in 2010. When, when? I left in 2009. 2009, okay. Yeah. And 2009, so so what a lot of people don't know, MySpace and Facebook started about the same time. Yeah. And very quickly, MySpace just blew up and took off virally. And Facebook didn't really grow for the first yeah. you know, four years. They sort of got some traction in universities, but sort of were stuck. Cause, yeah. And MySpace kept growing and growing and growing. And then the tables turned at one point and you know, eventually Facebook blew past it. But when I was at MySpace, we were actually the biggest site on the internet yeah, uh, by traffic. Amazing. It was completely amazing. Um, a lot of lessons from, you know, the Facebook MySpace wars. A couple key things, I think, that, that sort of became issues. One, uh, MySpace was acquired by a big media company, News Corporation, uh. and who had basically decided, hey, we've won the battle, and now we're going to squeeze every drop of revenue out of this uh, thing as we can. And so the entire focus became on quarterly earnings, where Facebook at that time had raised a ton of money. They had no revenue model at all, and their investors said, don't worry about revenue. It's all about network effects. Mm -hmm. Get all the users you can. And so there was very different sort of uh, directives of what they were charged to do. So that was sort of the... yeah the broader thing but i think the other thing that we saw at myspace was something you see in a lot of things where the the founding team probably didn't scale to where they needed to for the next phase of the business i think particularly on the product side we still had a very centralized in one person decision making process across huge number of features and so you know it, it was it, it wasn't a, a model that scaled well to make smart decisions and I guess the last thing I'd say, which I think was, was really detrimental and where Facebook really excelled was in the use of data. Yeah. Uh, where Facebook was very, very analytical and very data-driven to figure out what are the, the levers that really matter. And MySpace really wasn't very strong on the, mm. on the data side. And I think mm. that was, you know, a huge 
a huge mistake into something I just an, an oversight I'd say yeah wow rest in peace yeah <laughs> um, if you're just joining us you're listening to launchpad on business radio powered by the Wharton School Sirius XM channel 132 I'm Carl Ulrich and I'm speaking with Travis Katz we're talking about he was the co-founder and CEO of trip.com and currently at a company called Skyscanner and we're about to make that that transition so uh, C trip you were acquired about a year ago. Correct. Um, uh, so tell us how that how that came to be, and and remind our listeners who 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 don't know C Trip, uh, who C Trip is. Yeah. Yeah. So C Trip is the largest online travel company in China, and the second online the second largest online travel company in the world. So mm -hmm. they're about thirty percent bigger than Expedia. Yeah. Um, to put they're, it in perspective. they're pretty good. I'm a customer. It's pretty good. Pretty yeah. Good travel site. They, uh, yeah. They're yeah. they're not quite a monopoly in China, yeah. but they are a huge player and right. all the other comp competitors they're investors in and run by a super smart, you know, founding team. Mm -hmm. um, they all are Chinese, but they all were educated in the West. And yeah. so they sort of understand Silicon yeah. Valley yeah. and and China. Um and they basically acquired a company called Skyscanner. And yeah. Skyscanner is my current employer. They're uh, a flight search business, similar to like a, a kayak would probably be the most similar yeah. uh, product. They are the dominant player in Europe for flights tickets and one of the biggest in Asia. Um, and then they acquired uh, Trip.com. Um, and Ctrip is a really interesting company. They're they're the first Chinese internet company that's really making moves to expand their business outside of China yeah. and into the West. Yeah, um, it's it's really interesting and exciting to watch. You know, most Chinese internet companies, if you look, they're all massive. We read about them all the time, but they haven't had a lot of pressure or need to go outside China because right. China is just right. so big. Uh, so Ctrip's really blazing a new path for for Chinese companies. Yeah, super interesting. And uh, how how did the how did the acquisition actually happen? Did they were you shopping it? Well, they... it, it was sort of interesting. Um, two things sort of happened at once. We basically were were not shopping the company. We were out uh, growing the company, yeah. but we were doing a lot of uh, business development partnerships. So we were starting to power uh, destination content for brands like HomeAway, mm. for Hostel World, for. Uh, American Express, and we were we were going out and meeting with partners. So we went and met with uh, the founders of Skyscanner, and we're mm. talking to them about ways that we could uh, work together. And I think at one point, Gareth Williams, who's the founder of Skyscanner, I saw this little <laughs> light go on in his eye, and he dragged us over to meet uh, his head of corporate development. And we started some discussions. And in parallel, I had been the month before over in China talking to C-Trip and a bunch of Chinese players about yeah. how we could help them. They're starting to all see more travelers traveling in the West and mm -hmm. how we could help them there. So they were already aware of us. And then then uh, it all sort of came together quite quickly. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm trying to remember is C-Trip, C-Trip's a public company, right? They're public. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I found myself wondering, this is going to lead into another question. Uh, how much they value they saw in deleting the C from their name? Uh, it's a great question. <laughs> um, that I think was for them. I think Sky. So, so what I would describe as the as the motivations is Skyscanner quite clearly was trying to move from being a flight centric business to right. being a trips business, yeah. and really thinking about the trip holistically. Mm -hmm. 
C-Trip is trying to expand into the West. So for both of them, strategically, the content and the, the stuff that we built around personalization was quite interesting. Mm -hmm. I think the brand trip.com was something that was also for C-Trip. Uh, at some point, they were like, wow, that would also be a really yes. nice thing to have. And in fact, what's happened is that we separated the brand from the product. Yeah. And so the product yeah. is being built into both the C-Trip and uh, Skyscanner products. Yeah. But the brand trip.com has now become C-Trip's brand for outside of China. Yeah, that's super smart. I was, uh, in fact, it, 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 uh, I want you to go back to the branding. You were, you founded the company as GoGoBot, I believe. Right. Not, not terrible. Not, not terrible. terrible okay. Okay. Trip's better. Trip's definitely better. <laughs> yes. So, uh, tell us how you got Trip and, and how, how painful it was. Yeah. Uh, so we had been, you know, GoGoBot was, was we we loved the name Gogglebot and it was fun, but I think there was a, a point where he said if we really want to yep. scale this, it's just it's hard to remember. And I spent you know a year and a half sort of poking around looking for different websites. And at one point, I was I just happened to type trip dot com into the browser and came to this sort of broken website. And I was trying to figure out how could this great brand not be used for anything. Clicked around and clicked on a link that took me to Orbitz, and then I thought, does Expedia own this? Because Expedia yeah. had bought Orbitz. Yeah. And Expedia was an investor of ours. Ah. And so I found out they owned it and I approached them and asked if they would consider selling it. And they said, not only did they say no, but they said, don't waste your time. We would never do something like this. Uh, it's not worth our time. We don't even know how to do it. We buy things, we don't sell things. And so it took me a good six months of uh, convincing to eventually uh, convince them to, to essentially to sell the brand to me. Yeah. But in a sense, because they were investor, it wasn't a pure horse trade. I mean, it, it, correct. Yeah. 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 So, so it ended up taking me sitting down with uh, with Dara Kazrashawi, uh, who's oh, now wow. the Uber yeah, CEO, yeah. and and basically, you know, I was able to persuade him that the likelihood of them using like launching a brand right. internally at Expedia was pretty low. That's not right. their model. They buy right. things. They they don't launch internally, and and so the risk reward of of selling it, and we gave them. Uh, you know, a good deal and some upside in yeah. the company. Uh, so I think it worked out well yeah. for everyone. Great, 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 great story. So let's uh, change gears just a little bit to your own to your own journey. So you've done these bunch of entrepreneurial things. You just spent eight years, eight, I'm sure, very tough years uh, building Trip.com. Mm. Uh, tell us how you landed in this Skyscanner role and, and how you're thinking about just what that's like to join join a big company and and get moved around to another to another role yeah yeah it's it's been a big adjustment yeah. um going from you you sort of forget what it's like to be in in a big company and you know when being in a startup is tough and and it's exhausting but the thing that's great about it especially if you're the the ceo is you can make decisions very quickly right. um and you can be quite nimble and, and quite decisive and um you know coming into skyscanner i've they've i'm now overseeing growth at skyscanner i'm overseeing engagement i'm heavily involved in the product for the app experience and and i'm part of the the executive team there and uh what's what's been interesting for me is to in sense to relearn how do you get things done yeah. in big businesses? And even if you're an executive, you can't just tell people, this is the, this is right. the direction we're going to go and let's just get it done. You actually need to 
you know, play politics. You have to sell the idea in. You have to figure out who are the 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 opinion leaders and mm-hmm. influencers, and and it it takes longer, but it ultimately it's the only way that things get done. And so I've I've been spending a lot of time doing that. I think I've sort of cracked it now. Yeah, and <clears throat> and what can we look forward to? I suppose, uh, you know, I just share my own personal frustration, which is when when kayak was launched um it was really this breath of fresh air because it was this mm. clean interface that did what you wanted it to do uh it's now terrible uh in my opinion um but google flights is is pretty good and i wonder how you compete with google that's giving something away for free that works pretty well with a lot of resources behind it what are the big opportunities in in flight search so now and, and how are you going after it yeah. so i think the way we look at it at skyscanner so skyscanner is you know the number one flight search brand in in europe and and a lot of countries in asia and mm-hmm. it's something that they're quite good at their inventory is incredible but um i think everyone in the travel industry is looking at what google is doing and and google is on the one hand building products that are are quite good but they're also using their dominance in search to sort of force their products in front of people and sort of bury the competition. So there's, you know, they're being held account to account for that in Europe, less so in the US. Um, but I think in any case, you know, the way we're looking at it is the world's changed very much from being Skyscanner's history is, you know, SEO based search, you know, people discover them and use it on the web and the desktop. And we're moving to an app first world. Mm-hmm. And actually, one of the really great things about being a part of the C-Trip group is China made the transition to yeah. all apps, you know, eight years ago. Yeah, because no one has computers. So. Nobody has computers. <laughs> nobody uses websites. Everyone yeah. uses apps. Yeah. And so we're able to learn a lot about, you know, the future and where things are going from C-Trip. And they're very hands-on in, in terms of not in running the business, but in terms of helping us to learn yeah. about what's happening in China. And so where we really see the opportunity and where C-Trip's really excelled is – when you think about an app experience today, you know, the original sales pitch and a lot of people still in Silicon Valley talk about the app economy as the great unbundling. And there was mm-hmm. a long time this idea that, you know, every great app just does one little function very, very well. But the reality is that's not what consumers want. And if you're in a destination and you're using one app for your flights, then another one has your hotel itinerary. And then you're using another one to figure out where to go uh, for dinner and another one to figure out which beaches. It's really hard to jump from one to another, yeah. and where what consumers really want is can you stitch everything together in a way that it's easy? Everything I need is at my fingertips, and I think where we think the opportunity in travel is, uh, particularly in the mobile sphere, is really about how do we bring together mm. all the pieces and make it easy so you don't have to jump from one thing to another or search on on your mobile web browser, which is slow. You know, it's it's really insightful. It's one of the things I spend a lot of time in China. One of the things that's really puzzled me is why the Chinese consumer seems to prefer the Swiss Army knife, you know, WeChat, which does absolutely everything. Uh, and in the U.S., we're still we've got a hundred icons on our yeah. on our phone. So your suggestion is that's not optimal. We're going to get to a more 
uh, single solution. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's starting already, but I think yeah. what you saw, what you saw in China is very much things have consolidated yep. and you have what the, you have this super apps, essentially. right? Super apps. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, and they're their own ecosystem yeah. in some ways. Yeah. And I think WeChat's the best example, yeah. you know, where WeChat, you use it for your social networking, but you use it to buy your, make a dinner reservation or uh, call a taxi or call a taxi yeah. or use it as your wallet. Um, so I, th I think we're taking a lot of cues from those kinds of trends in, in Asia. All right. Well, Travis, we're out of time. It's so interesting. Thanks so much for coming in. Great. Thanks for having me, Carl. It's great to be here. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.